All right, guys, things are heating up in just about every sport that Rich and I cover, so let's just get right to it. The Utah Jazz are 25-25, and and the NBA trade deadline is just 15 days away. What can we expect from the Jazz? And Utah football got a new wide receiver coach, plus the running Utes had a very impressive week against the Washington schools. What games do the boys on the hill have to win in order to maybe have a chance at the postseason? And for our weekly draft segment, we're doing something a little different. We're going to be looking at the all-star starters um, because they will be announced tomorrow night. So we're just going to take our predictions and try to see how many we get right. That should be fun. And that's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. All right, here are today's Thatcher Effect headlines. Richie, take us away, my man. All right, the Utah Jazz are in a pretty interesting spot. They're 25-25. and They're two games ahead of the 13th-place Lakers, and they're also two games behind the 4th-place Pelicans. It's just it's a dogfight in the West right now. It's, it's awesome. Um, they go on to play Portland tonight in a game with potential long-term seeding implications, and then their next five are all at home. Utah football got itself a new wide receivers coach and Alvis Witted, a.k.a. Coach Witt the second. Um, Witted spent the last three years at Wisconsin, and before that he had some stops as the wide receiver coach for the Green Bay Packers for a year and at Colorado State for seven years. So he should be an excellent piece to get that wide receiver group up to shape for 2023. Plus, a little draft news. Dalton Kincaid was picked by Mel Kuyper in his early draft board to go in the first round of the upcoming NFL draft at pick 28 to the Cincinnati Bengals. Richie, what are your thoughts if uh, Dalton Kincaid joined a uh, shysty Joe out in Cincinnati? Dude, that that would be awesome. I'm I'm all in on the Joe Burrow hype train. I watched the game on Saturday against the Bills. That game was just it's it's hard to watch Joe Burrow and not cheer for him. Like he just makes the most out of his guys. I mean, he obviously has really good weapons around him and T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, but he just makes the most out of his guys. And so thinking about how Kincaid would fit into that system where he probably wouldn't be the number one option and that's fine. Um, but he would, I just feel like he would fit really well and you can pl- play with a better quarterback than Joe Burrow to start your career. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. That'd be super interesting. I mean, if we had two first round picks next year, that, that could be fun. So I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited to, to see where the, where the draft ends up. Um, the running Utes are currently 14 and seven on the season and seven and three in conference play. They swept both Washington teams at home. Awesome wins. Um, they're currently preparing to play the Oregon teams on the road this week, and with some building momentum, they're starting to reappear in NCAA tournament talks. That's also that conversation is getting pretty interesting. But big news topics around the sports world this week. Hey, we had a trade. We we had a trade, and it went to the Lakers. We got Rui Hachimura going out to LA. Um, I know that ESPN kind of graded it as a kind of mid-tier trade for for both teams. I know that uh, Washington got a second-round pick. And who's the player that L.A. gave up to Washington? Kendrick Nunn. That's right, Kendrick Nunn. So I think they gave, like, Washington uh, like a C, a B-plus grade on that, and they gave the Lakers a C. Um, it was also interesting because I, I heard the Twitter sphere that that was the Lakers kind of saying, oh, we're kind of done trading now, which I thought was interesting to hear. I thought the Lakers would maybe 
put a little bit more into it. But I don't know, Richie, what are your thoughts on this trade? Um, if the Lakers are done trading after that, then their organization is being very poorly mismanaged. They they got to make some other trades if they're serious about not wasting LeBron's last year. I think the dangerous spot that the Lakers are in, Anthony Davis comes back tonight, they'll start winning some games, and they'll be like, oh, well, we already made a trade. We don't need to do anything else. We don't need to push the agenda further. Um, they're going to be fine with Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and Granted, I think their supporting cast isn't bad. I think it's better than last year, but yeah, it's it's just it's still pretty rough in LA, um, and I don't see this trade totally swinging things. I like Rui Hachimura. I think he's a good player. He's young. Uh, he's a scorer. He can score from everywhere on the floor, which is intriguing. Um, he'll get a lot of different looks than he ever did in Washington. Uh, playing him next to LeBron James, you'll probably get a lot more three pointers and a lot more transition stuff which i think is exciting because he is an athlete and he's a pretty decent shooter um i do think the warriors at the wizards excuse me i think they kind of got fleeced in this trade kendrick nunn is really bad and they gave away three second round picks and i just i don't know second round picks are only so important in the nba um, whereas Rui Hachimura, he's young, he has potential. It's a really low risk trade for the Lakers. Like they're not risking too much. They can re-sign him in the off season if they want to, but if it turns out to just be a bad stint, they don't have to. Um, but overall pretty interesting. It kind of, it kind of gets us to some former run in Utah because, uh, DeLon Wright and Kyle Kuzma are both playing in Washington. And it opens up some more minutes for Kuzma, which from what I understand is one of the big reasons they did it because the Wizards are planning to re-sign Kuzma in this offseason. And so they're opening up more minutes at the four where Kuzma has played really, really well this season. Um, So, you know, it's kind of, it's cool to see it go full circle, tie it back to running Utes. Yeah. I, uh, I think both of the former running Utes are, have found kind of their niche out there in, uh, in Washington and, Surprisingly, I thought I thought DeLon Wright would obviously have a, a better start to his NBA career. I guess more a little more flashy, a little more of himself. Because I mean, he won the Bob Cowsey Award in college as the best point guard in the country. So I thought that he'd maybe have a little bit of a better start to his NBA career. But I think he's kind of really found his spot out there with the Wizards. And I mean, it's it just seems like he's really back to his old style type of game. We saw that clutch deal he made against Luca. Um, just this last, you know, last night or yesterday or two days ago. And so I'm really excited to see how that team can shape up for the future. But yeah, it seems like the Lakers are every year trying to make moves for like that same year to try and immediately compete. And I agree with you. I think while they have just a, a good starting lineup and, you know, some, some good key pieces outside on the bench, I just feel like it's never enough compared to some of the great teams. And yeah, I just feel like around the NBA, the the great teams have a very deep bench, and that's kind of what sets them apart from the rest. Because I mean, you got to win the win the minutes when your stars are are not out on the floor. So anyway, it should be interesting. Hopefully, the the trades get a little more intriguing as we get closer to the deadline, which I think they will. So I think next week and the week after, we should have some exciting news there. But I mean, obviously, we got to talk some NFL football. We got to talk some more shysty Joe. Um, but before we get into that. We just got to let you know, hey, there's four NFL teams, two conference championship games, and only a few more shots to win big on the playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. So 
Counting down to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. If you're not a new customer, you can feel the conference championship thrills with stepped-up same-game parlays. So that means you can take your shot at an even bigger NFL payout and boost your winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. So if you download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TBPN, that'll set you up. New customers can bet $5 on the conference championships and get 200 in free bets instantly. That's only a DraftKings Sportsbook um, with code TBPN. So make sure to go ahead and use that. Richie, we only got two games to discuss this week, but I feel like all four of these teams have a very valid reason to be here in the conference championships. But which two teams are you taking to go to the Super Bowl? I know you, we, you've been high your Niners for a few weeks, but who do you got going to the down to Arizona to finish off? Man, I you're right. I don't feel like I can quit on my Niners. I, we've gotten this far, and it's like we can't just stop now. They're they're rolling. Um, Brock Purdy is playing great. He's doing everything he's asked of. I think he's a legit playmaker, and I feel like as each game goes on, it's like you're having more and more of the conversation of, is this guy going to be the quarterback of the future for the 49ers? Which is just a completely interesting situation considering where they were seven, eight weeks ago with Jimmy G as the guy. Um, and it's just been a, it's been a roller coaster of a season for them with quarterbacks, but yeah, Brock Purdy's been played great. Um, I'm ex- really intrigued with this matchup between the Niners and Eagles. I think the Eagles are a very, very complete team. They're really good in the run game. They have dynamic wide receivers and they have a really good quarterback who can do just about everything you need him to do. And so that's kind of what makes me believe in the Eagles. And that's why I could see them going further. Um, However, the 49ers are also a very, very complete team in every phase of the game. Um, Their run game has been great. Their passing game, like Brock Purdy, he's made some really good plays. He had that play against Dallas, um, that pass to Kittle, which was just incredible. The timing of it, the play itself, it was just exactly what the Niners needed to pull out that win. And that's kind of what makes you believe in Brock Purdy is plays like that. Um, their defense is great. I think they'll probably have a difficult time hanging with the Philly wide receivers because A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith are just so good. And then you also kind of have to play man on Jalen Hurts because he's able to scramble. He's able to get a lot of yards running. Um, and I just think it's going to open up a lot of things for those Philly receivers. But, yeah, it's, that's, that is a matchup I'm really intrigued with. What are, what are your thoughts, Thatch? Yeah, I think both of these matchups are really interesting um, for a lot of reasons, and you've already mentioned a few of them. There's one kind of downer for me, and that's that the two on paper, like the two teams that are better, the Chiefs and the Eagles, the home teams, both of their star quarterbacks are dealing with injuries right now, which kind of puts a little bit of a, a downspin on these championship games, right? We saw Mahomes go down with that weird ankle injury, and uh, Jalen Hurts is kind of recovering from that shoulder injury uh, later on in the season. And while the Eagles were easily able to take care of the Giants and Mahomes was still able to do his thing. Kind of, I feel like if both of these teams are like, if if all these teams are at full capacity, like these would be some even more amazing games, but I still think that this is going to be a great matchup. I think the, the really big, the two sides of the ball that I'm looking forward to facing off is gonna be that 49ers defense against that Eagles offense. Kind of like you were mentioning. And it's so awesome to see that a lot of people are talking about Fred Warner, the former BYU Cougar, Uh, Luckily, he wasn't like this dominant against Utah as far as I can remember in like just totally obliterating us because I think that man might have just like single handedly ruined Dak Prescott's future NFL career. 
Um, or maybe that was the play calling at the end of the Cowboys game. Maybe that did it. But I think the 49ers have done a great job on defense uh, using their scheme to go against high-powered offenses and to try and throw them off their balance. And when you have a linebacking core like the like the Niners have, I just feel like it's so hard to try and get points up on the board against them. And so that'll be like kind of the key matchup for me this week. I want to see how the Eagles offense does against San Francisco. But the 49ers have just been able to kind of find their way. And just as you were talking about Joe Burrow and how much like you love him, everyone wants to root for him. I feel like it's the same thing with Brock Purdy, right? Mr. Irrelevant. You want him to do well because it's like a, a great underdog story. I, I've i always loved the Chiefs. Mainly that was because Alex Smith was the quarterback um, kind of during, I wouldn't say the beginning of the dynasty, but he really led them into this Mahomes era. And I feel like you have to give him at least some credit for training Mahomes and becoming the quarterback that he was today. But they've turned into like this Alabama-type dynasty. And I'm kind of overall the ESPN analyst talking about Patrick Mahomes throwing like a two yard slant route and saying that he's like blessed by the gods for doing that. Um, and I just love Joe Burrow's, his aura, everything about him. I just love as everyone does. So I think that one will be interesting. Obviously this is a, this is a rematch from last year. If Cincinnati pulls it off again, I feel like that would be incredible. We saw they were able to walk into Buffalo in extreme weather environment against a team that was clearly wanting to win, but just, did not have anything going for him on offense and just let Joe cook as they played some soft coverage D. Uh, listen, I think I might go with both of the underdogs this week. I think I'm going to go Niners and Bengals. Um, call me crazy. I mean, we've gone with the Niners this whole way through these past few weeks, but I'm going to go with the underdogs. So those are my, those are my two picks for going. I know you got the Niners, but who do you got coming out of the chiefs and Cincinnati game? Dude, I do not think that's crazy at all. I'm I'm taking those two both as well. I just like watching the Bengals last week. Granted, it was a horrible performance from the Bills. I just believe in them, though. And I really do think Patrick Mahomes' injury is going to play a big part into this game. I still think he can be amazing in the pocket and he can do a lot of really big things. But there's kind of like, it's kind of like when a player gets injured and they have the adrenaline, like Kobe, when he tore his Achilles and then, he goes and hits those free throws. It's like he could do that because he had the adrenaline. But is Mahomes going to be able to do that this week? Is he going to be able to have like that same adrenaline that he had? Is he going to be able to play on that foot? Who knows? Um, I think it's that's the big question mark. And yeah, ultimately, I just think I kind of think the Bengals are just like the more complete team right now. Um, and that's not a knock on Kansas City at all. I just. I, I believe more in, in the Bengals, and I think it's going to be a really, really good game. Um, that's probably the one I'm looking forward more to watch uh, is the Chiefs-Bengals game, but I think both games are going to be great. But yeah, my Super Bowl take is I'm taking the Niners, and I'm taking the Bengals, just like you, Thatch. Hopefully we're not wrong. I love it. This is an, this is an underdog episode of the podcast, guys. Go with the underdogs. Um, and, and maybe bet on them, too, with DraftKings Sportsbook, huh? Yeah, that's a good note. All right, Richie, we got to get into the good stuff. And of course, we got to start with the Utah Jazz. You got something to tell us about the Utah Jazz. And we've been talking about trade deadlines. We've been talking about key players. Last week, we we're talking about the rookies. What are the players or what are the notes you're looking out for this week as the Jazz are gearing up for that big home stretch and um, some key games coming, coming down to this week? Well, I know it's only January, 
but who doesn't love award talk? Everybody loves talking about the MVP this early in the season or defensive player of the year, the rookie of the year conversation. I want to talk about the most improved player conversation because I think that's a, an award that a certain Jazz player is going to own by the end of the season. Um, so currently looking at the odds, Laurie Markkinen has the best odds, followed by Shea Gilgis-Alexander, then Jalen Brunson and Tyrese Halliburton. The thing that stands out to me is those three guys behind Laurie were all good last year. They're all really good players. Like they're not just jumping onto the scene where Laurie is just a much different player. He's just getting into it. Like nobody predicted this massive leap that he was going to take forward. Um, so looking at his 2021 to 2022 stats, when he was playing on the Cavs, he was averaging 14.8 points per game, 5.7 rebounds per game on 44, 35, 87 splits. Um, he's also shoot. He's playing 30.8 minutes per game, pretty solid 19.5 usage percentage. He's taken a massive leap though. His scoring has gone up by 10 points. He's averaging 24.8 points per game. His rebounding has gone up. He's averaging 8.8 rebounds per game. He's averaging more assists. And the efficiency is what really jumps out. He's shooting 52% from field, 42% from three, and 87% from the free throw. Um, He's playing more minutes, four more minutes, but you wouldn't expect four minutes to have that large of an impact. His usage usage percentage has gone up. Um, And looking at like those counting stats, it's awesome. But what really jumps out are his advanced stats. As of right now, he is fifth in offensive win shares, sixth in win shares period, seventh in player efficiency rating, or 17th, excuse me, 12th in offensive rating, and ninth in troop shooting percentage. Laurie Markkinen is having one of the best offensive seasons we've ever seen from a Jasmine. In terms of volume, in terms of efficiency, it's been crazy. It's been crazy. Shea Gilders Alexander is also having a really good season. Shout out to him, cousin of Nikhil Alexander Walker. Um, He's fifth in points per game this year, fourth in offensive win shares, fourth in win shares, fourth in player efficiency rating. But if you've been watching the NBA, you already knew Shea was awesome. Shea was really good last year. He was averaging 24 points um, and playing 34 minutes per game and was pretty efficient. And while he has improved his efficiency, he's shooting better from every spot of the floor. He's leading the league as a guard in blocks. He's leading the guards in blocks, excuse me. Um, having a really good defensive season. He's a totally complete player, but he was already this dude. That's where I think the most improved conversation is really important to talk about. We had no idea Larry was going to be able to do the things that he's doing right now. Maybe you had like a little inkling when you saw him balling out in Eurobasket, but you know who else balled out in Eurobasket was Simone Fontecchio, who's barely cracking the Jazz's rotation most nights. Um, so I don't think that's like a really good way to gauge the kind of leap he was going to have in the NBA this year. Overall, I'm just, I'm so stoked about Laurie. I think he has this award pretty much in the bag. If you're choosing anybody else, it's there, there are cases to be made, but Laurie, he wasn't this dude last year. He is this dude this year. He's him right now. He's, he's just playing great basketball. What are your thoughts on Laurie this year, Thatch? Yeah, I think Laurie's, offensive scoring and not only that the consistency of his scoring is really what has I think boggled a lot of Utah Jazz fans the fact that this is the most consistent Jazz player scoring since Carl Malone is also pretty telling of how big of an improvement Markinen has made 
I've been able to see Markinen play a few times, play the Jazz a few times when um, he had his stints in you know Chicago and Cleveland. And he always seemed like that rotation guy, um, to put it in terms, kind of like the extra wingman that'll drop, you know, your double digits a game, but doesn't really stand out, kind of plays his role. But to have this year where he can be the number one guy has been so telling for what this guy can do on a winning team. I also like wonder, first off, you got to wonder what those coaches were telling him out in Eurobasket for the summer. Like, what did they unlock in his potential? Maybe like one day the basket just looked easier to hit for him and all power to him if that's if that's what happened. But I have to wonder, what was the coaching light like from Finland to help him find this kind of groove, help him find this offensive firepower that he just seemed to have missing since coming into the league? And I guess you also have to give credit to the Jazz coaching staff for being able to keep this momentum going into the NBA season and making him such a great player, not only throughout Jazz history, but just in the league this year. You have to, you have to like everyone can agree this year that Laurie Markinen belongs in the All Star game. Uh, a few weeks ago, when they brought out the second or third round of NBA All Star voting from the fans, I think he had about 1.3, 1.5 million votes to go to the All-Star game. And Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert combined last year, I think got less than that, or just about, which is absolutely mind-boggling because if you think about it, Donovan and Rudy were on a top three team in the West. Donovan was having a fantastic offensive year uh, the past two years when he was with the Jazz. Obviously, Rudy's defensive power down low just couldn't be denied. You couldn't negate what he was doing down in the paint. So the fact that Laurie has more votes than both of those guys did combined last year should show you what the rest of the league thinks about him. And we've seen as the years progress that the other teams are defending him and they're looking out and putting him as part of their scheme to double team him, take him out, you know. But at first it kind of caught him off guard. I feel like he wasn't used to being the guy that everyone was scheming against when playing defense. But you see that at the beginning of the year, he was really good. Obviously, he's still really good at shooting the outside shot. But now we see him going into the paint, trying to create shots on his own and being able to make some work down low. And I think Laurie just has a trajectory that can just continue to go up from here. I absolutely think he should win most improved player. If he doesn't, I, I just think there's a lot of people smoking something that just, they didn't get it right this year if, if he doesn't get that award. But I just think he can be a truly, like he has to be a long-term piece uh, for this Jazz team moving forward. I don't know if anyone feels differently, um, what your poll said earlier in this week, but Lori has to be a key part of this jazz of this jazz franchise's future. What do you think about the other players though? I know you had a poll out earlier this week on Twitter. You kind of wanted to talk about what everyone thought about each of the members of the jazz rotation and maybe what the jazz should do with them as they move forward. But that, that's my take on Lori. I just think he should be the long-term piece, not saying he has to be the number one guy, but he's got to be with the jazz for a long time. Yeah. Just, just to add to that a little bit, I don't know if you've seen the video of like his career mixtape of, posters but there's one where he's honestly dribbling like one of the guys from the 50s uh dribbling like bob Cousy out there but yeah and then and then you see him dribbling this year just like completely different this is um a contrast from last year to this year where i just think his handle has improved he's improved in every way of the game um along with my poll uh i did conduct a poll i wanted to just get a little temperature temperature check on how jazz fans feel about jazz players um, and so I kind of gave four options. Option one is trade him now. Option two, trade if good offer. Option three, don't trade. And option four, long-term peace. Um, so I did it on basically all the 
jazz rotation players, starting with Malik Beasley. And most people thought that Malik Beasley, we should trade him if there's a good offer, but we don't necessarily need to trade him now. I kind of don't think the Jazz are going to trade him. I, they just put a, a big PR thing for him to get into the three-point contest. What if he gets traded before, and then he like comes back to Salt Lake in a different uniform for shooting the three-point contest? I don't know. That just it seems weird. Um, I know we've talked about him as probably the most likely guy to get traded, but I think he's a guy that you definitely have to wait for the right offer because he's going to have value, and that value is going to go throughout is going to go beyond this season um next is mike conley people were pretty split on mike conley um some people were wanting to trade him now some people were trading him if there's a good offer that's what most people are choosing and some people were just saying don't trade but nobody really viewed him as a long-term piece um i think that's probably where most people are with mike conley uh i think he adds a lot to this jazz team right now but yeah he's definitely not a long-term piece laurie Markkinen. Most people, 69.1% of people, thought that he deserves to be a long-term piece. I totally agree. For some reason, some people wanted to trade him now or trade him if there's a good offer. I don't think the Jazz are going to trade him unless they're getting like five first-round picks. Like He has the level that Donovan did last season of trade value. Uh, Jordan Clarkson. People were pretty split on Jordan Clarkson. Some viewed him as a long-term piece. Uh, Some were wanting to trade him now. But most people are wanting to trade him if there's a good offer. And I kind of think that's where the Jazz are with Jordan Clarkson. Um, I think they want to extend him this offseason if they can, but I don't think they're necessarily shopping him, and they could view him as a long-term piece. I mean, the guy is, what, he's 30 years old, and he's only improved every season. He's gotten better from last year to this year. So there's still a lot of reason to be excited about Clarkson as a long-term piece. Um, Jared Vanderbilt was next. Most people are wanting to trade him kind of understandable. He doesn't really fit into the long-term plans of this jazz team. Um, just with his lack of shooting, I think he's a great player and you could probably get some good assets in return for him. Getting down to some more of the guys that people really wanted to trade Kelly Olenek and, um, Taylor Horton Tucker and Rudy Gay were the guys people were like trade now or trade if there's a good offer. Nobody really viewed any of those three as long-term pieces. Um, Ochai Baji, most people view him as a long-term piece as long as, as well as Walker Kessler. I think those are two are pretty obvious. Colin Sexton, you had all over the board. Um, some people were saying trade if there's a good offer, don't trade. Um, only about 20% of people thought he was a long-term piece. I guess the overall point I'm trying to make with all this is, um, there's just a lot of ways that the jazz can go. Um, I think fans aren't necessarily attached to every player. I think you have two guys that fans are really attached to and would be sad to see them go. Um, and Walker Kessler and Laurie Markkinen. But outside of them, I don't think anybody's really trying to... Um, I, I don't think the Jazz are really necessarily trying to hold on to anybody. And I think that's exciting going into the deadline because like we've mentioned, the Jazz have so much power. Um, with it, this trade deadline, they have many assets and a lot of players that teams are coveting. And frankly, right now there's more buyers than there are sellers. So the Jazz kind of get to dictate how the market. They get to dictate the value. And um, I don't know. It's it's interesting to get a temperature check on where Jazz fans are. What are your thoughts on that, Thatcher? Yeah, I thought the poll was very interesting. Kind of... Um it was kind of interesting to see everyone's views on all these different rotation players. 
I agreed with most of them, uh, the majority on a lot of these. I think I, I agree with you. I think the Jazz aren't really set with basically everyone except for, I would say, Lori and, and Walker have to be the two guys that they really have kind of locked down unless you give them a ton back. Jordan Clarkson, I feel like, is obviously, as the poll reflected, is really the most interesting, right? Um, he declined his contract and he's, you know, they're going to be working it out in the summer. I can definitely see the Jazz trying to continue his contract. I don't know if they see him as like a long term piece, but I can definitely see them trying to retain him as they try and build this Jazz team back to what they want it to be. It'll be interesting to see, though, as I'm looking at this and thinking about the trade deadline. A lot of people know who Danny Ainge is, know what he likes to do, know what he likes to get in return for what he gives away. I think of the Jazz, again, continue to make good trades. I wonder how long Danny Ainge can keep fleecing the league. Uh, you look at this Minnesota league or this Minnesota trade that they made last summer for Rudy Gobert, which will probably go down as one of the most lopsided trades in NBA history. And Danny Ainge has been in this type of situation before. He set Boston up for success for a lot of years in the draft. And look at where it's kind of put them today. I, I just wonder if Danny Ainge, he has that reputation, right? We I saw something earlier this week how NBA front offices have this kind of half-running joke that if Danny Ainge is calling, don't pick up the phone, let it go to voicemail because you're, you're going to get absolutely screwed. I don't know. Uh, I guess that's a, a question I'd, I'd like to pose to you, Richie. Do you think that Danny Ainge and his... Um, persona as like a really good trader for the team that he's with. Do you think that kind of damages his reputation moving forward with the Jazz to the point where they maybe can't even get the the phone to get picked up on the other end if they want to trade a player because they know who Danny Age is? Or do you think that starting now and moving forward, he can put Utah in a really good position for the foreseeable future? That's a really good question. I think in terms of larger NBA playing field, that most teams are still going to be willing to deal with the Jazz. Uh, it doesn't matter that it's Danny Ainge. I think the teams that would be skeptical are maybe some of the guys in the front offices that have some long-term beefs with Danny Ainge or just some teams that maybe have some beef with Danny Ainge, specifically the Lakers. Like, There's a lot of reasons that they should not like Danny Ainge. Um, if you've seen any of the 80s documentaries, about that Lakers squad versus those Celtics teams. Danny Ainge was a dirty player. And I think there's still some bad blood there. I also think there's some bad blood between him and Pat Riley, who's managing the Heat right now. Um, and I, th yeah, I still think there's some bad blood there that goes all the way back to those Celtics-Lakers days. Um, Danny Ainge, I feel like he is respected in most NBA circles. And I don't think he'll ever stop being able to make trades. And honestly, like the trades they're making, they've benefited most teams that they've that they've traded to. Uh, the Timberwolves was obviously a complete fleecing, but you understand what the Timberwolves were trying to do in theory um, by adding a third star with Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns. I think they had some things going against them. Um, notably, I think they were expecting Anthony Edwards to kind of take a bigger leap, as well as Rudy Gobert be the same player that he was last year. And frankly, he isn't. Maybe there's some Eurobasket summer stuff with that. I don't know. I haven't done like a really deep dive on it. But he's definitely not the same player he was last year or the year before. Um, if I'm Minnesota, I'm skeptical to trade with the Jazz. I think that's within reason. But you look at the other trades he's made. 
sending Bojan to the Pistons, they're going to get assets out of that. Um, sending Royce to the Nets, that was a great trade. Benefited everybody. Um, sending Patrick Beverly to the Lakers for Taylor Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson, that was a good trade for the Lakers, at least at the time. Um, Taylor Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson wouldn't be playing for them right now. And then lastly, sending Donovan to Cleveland. That was a really good trade for the Cavs, and they're set up for the next four years to be a championship contender. So I really don't think that there's going to be too much hesitancy to play to play to trade with Danny Ainge around the league, because honestly, most of the trades that he's making are benefiting both teams. And I don't know. He, he kind of has a, a larger room for error right now. Like he can make a bad trade, and it's going to be all right because the Jazz have so many assets. But yeah, Danny Ainge has been the guy for the job. He's been, I, I thought he's done tremendously. Um, and comparing to like my first thoughts on him, like when the Jazz first hired him, I was so down on him. I was like, oh, he's going to destroy this core. He's going to destroy our team. He's going to trade everybody away. Um, and there's going to be no feelings in it at all. But that's kind of what the Jazz franchise needed. And he's been the guy. Yeah, I think that's perfectly said. Uh, I don't think any of us really wanted to see that last era of Jazz basketball end. But being on the other side of that, those trades now, we can definitely see why it was needed. And I feel like the franchise is better set up in the long run and compared to what they were before. It'll be interesting to see what trades we make. Obviously, the season is, is interesting coming off of a great summer where lots of business transactions were made from the Jazz franchise. Should be interesting to see how they finish this one off. My really big Jazz note for this week was looking ahead to the end of this season. I know a lot of Jazz fans seem to be kind of split on how they want the Jazz to actually do in terms of wins and losses, how they want their record to reflect at the end of the season. The Jazz have the easiest second half of the NBA schedule out of any team in the league. You were talking about they got five straight home games after a stint in Portland. I'm interested, Richie, where do you personally want the Jazz to finish once the season's all said and done? Like play in, a secure playoff team or out of the playoff. And depending on you know where you want them to finish, does that spot that you pick benefit them most in the long run? Or do you just kind of want a playoff spot? You want immediate gratification, right? You want to win some games this year. Don't really care about long scheme. So where would you personally want the Jazz to finish at the end of this year? Personally, I, I think Tony uh, Jones of The Athletic reported it and said it best. The Jazz have established their culture. They They've done that part of the season that's something that they needed to do this year as they had a changing of the guard they needed to establish a culture a culture of winning and that's something that they've done this year they've already exceeded their uh win total that most teams that that most um odds makers put them at they have found their guys i think they've gotten everything out of this season that they want to so far however Right now, like I mentioned in the opening segment, the Jazz are two games out of 13th place. Like, if they wanted to tank and get a draft pick, get a good draft pick in what is honestly a really good draft class, then now would be the time to do it. So I've kind of always been on that side of the fence. Um, I do think that they should not necessarily do a fire sell, but I do think that there are some players they should try to trade away to get more assets. Um the thing about this draft and what's interesting in, in the Jazz's regard is they own three picks, the worst of Philadelphia, Brooklyn, and Houston. 
which is going to be probably a late 20s pick. They own the Minnesota pick, and they own their own pick. You can't control too much of the destiny with Minnesota's pick or the other pick. However, you can control the destiny of your own pick. And while tanking isn't as beneficial in this stage of the NBA as it has been, getting a look at a top eight pick in this draft would be awesome. There are a lot of guys in the in this next draft class that I like and some guys that are going to fall down uh, to that spot. And the Jazz could honestly get a really good pick with one of those guys. Um, and so that's kind of the way I think that the Jazz should lean. The thing is, they're just they're so close to either side. Uh, they could be a playoff team by the end of the season or they could be tanking and they could be bottom of the West. But yeah, I mean, those are obviously decisions that they're talking about every single day. I trust what they're going to do. Um, overall, I would love to see them get a good draft pick in this next class because the 2024 class doesn't look quite as good as this 2023 class does. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think the the draft this year is very special, and I think it will be rem- remembered as one of the greatest draft classes in the history of the league. I have maybe a little bit of a uh, – maybe this is too um, – you know, focused on the right here, right now in this season, I kind of wanted to end up in the play-in tournament. And the main reason that I say that is because I'm looking at, you know, where the West is stacked right now. As you were saying, it's basically just so close between the four seed all the way down to the 13 seed. And the Jazz can kind of go either way, um, right? They, they can lose two games, they're in 13th. You win two games, you know, you might be in fourth. But as of right now, the play-in in the West would be uh, the the first two games would be Golden State at Phoenix and Minnesota at Utah. Like, what a play-in tournament that would be and something that I think would be so fun to watch. And the only reason I say that I I would like to... I, maybe Utah like gets like the 10 seed or 9 seed is maybe kind of what I'm aiming for. And that's mainly because this Jazz team, this new Jazz team, hasn't had national exposure. Right. Obviously, people are talking about Laurie Markinen. That's why he's getting the all star votes. But no one's really been able to see, I feel like, what the Jazz, this culture that you were talking about, what they're putting out on the floor. I feel like the playing tournament could be really popular this year, have a lot of viewership. And if the Jazz were a part of it, I feel like that could help them. And, you know, even if they, they won and got like an eight seed in the, in the playoff or something, I think I'd be okay with that. Um, I think Danny Ainge is still able to find players. The Jazz will find the players that they want, even in the mid-teens, if that's kind of where they fall for their first pick. I mean, look at that. We saw that with Donovan Mitchell, and uh, heck, Rudy Gobert was late too. And so I think I trust, and not saying obviously the same guys that picked them are not here with the franchise, but I just think um, obviously you want Wembenyama, you want Scoot, even those top 10 guys are just next level. But I think the Jazz can still succeed long-term if they do potentially fall into the teens. Um, I don't really feel like I'm pulled, though, necessarily either way. That's kind of why I picked the middle because, heck, if they get to a four seed miraculously and get like home home advantage in the first round of the playoffs, like, hey, more power to you, I guess. But at the same time, like if they do just lose a lot of games at the end of the season, someone gets injured or something, and you don't even make the playoffs, I'm totally fine with that. Because like you said, the, the biggest part of starting this, basically this entire franchise over, was to build that culture. Okay, what do you want the Jazz to reflect? What do you want them to do? 
I feel like the coaching staff is perfect. Will Hardy is such an incredible addition to this organization for the future. I feel like they're set up for success in the long run. So like you said, really, no matter what happens, the Jazz basically already succeeded in their season goals. So it should be interesting to see how they finish. Again, you have a very easy stretch. So technically on paper, the Jazz should win a lot of games and make it into the playoff. But you never know what the organization's uh, plans are. And obviously, we'll see that as the trade deadline moves forward. But as always, I think the Jazz this year is such an interesting topic, such an interesting team to talk about because I feel like it's a team that could go in very different ways. Um, but let's segment into Utah Utes football. Um, this is the offseason. Clearly, we're not going to be talking about games, previewing games, recapping. Um, but I feel like it was, it'd be interesting to talk about um, a few things. Number one, we mentioned it earlier in the show. They got a new wide receiving coach. And I know a lot of people out there would probably think, okay, well, this is just like a typical hire. It's an assistant, whatever. It's not going to change that much. I actually see it as this is, this is a pretty big hire uh, because I think the wide receiver position actually might be the most important in need for improvement if the Utes really want a chance at being a three-peat champion in the Pac-12. And the reason I say that is because Utah, at least for right now, will be tight end you, right? You'll always have guys who will reload at that position. And next year with basically everyone returning, with rising Keithy, you already have like those offensive firepower, those offensive weapons that you're going to be using often. I think what sets them apart though, and I feel like times when they stalled last year was when they weren't able to use their wide receivers. This coach that they brought in, um, Coach Witt the second, <laughs> um, Alvis Witted, he has he's been able to shape NFL guys. Um, he coached some great wide receivers at Colorado State that went to the league, and the year that he was with Green Bay, he was part of um, Devontae Adams' um, kind of momentum into becoming one of, if not the greatest wide receiver in the NFL today. So, Richie, do you think that this wide receiver coach is kind of a big addition? You don't really care about it at all? Or um, you think this actually could have some big impacts down the road for this Utah football team? I really do think it could have some big impacts down, down the road. Um, Utah has, currently has a freshman, Mikey Matthews, who has moved into the ESPN Top 300. Um, I think having a coach that's able to develop NFL caliber players is really big for, for these young guys. Um, I think his impact, maybe we don't see it this year with like Vele um, and money parks and some of those other guys that are returning, but I think it's going to be a long-term move that really pays big dividends for the Utes. I mean, this guy uh, coach with he's played in the NFL he has NFL experience. Like he said, he's coached in the NFL. He coached Devontae Adams. He's also coached NFL guys when he was at Colorado State. He coached Michael Gallup, who plays for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, there's just a lot to like when you see that, when you see the kind of guys that he's developed and helped get to the next level. And that's kind of what Utah's going to need down, down the road. Um, we don't have a ton of tight ends coming in, but we do have some wide receivers coming in, some young wide receivers that have potential. And so I think this hire is going to be really big for the Utes. Maybe not this season, but long-term when you're developing some of these younger guys. Yeah. I like that you brought up Mikey Matthews. I think that's a guy that a lot of Utah fans are bringing up just became a four-star. Like you said, moved into the ESPN top 300. And he also just absolutely toasted the number one cornerback in the country at that all American camp, which, Hey, you know, what? if he can do that in the 
in the Pac-12 when Cormani McLean shows up to Colorado. I'm all for it personally. Um, but I, I just think around the league, this is a deep conference next year. The Pac-12 has uh, around, I think, five teams that can compete for a Pac-12 championship next year. And Utah plays, I think, four of those five teams. So, or maybe all five, actually. Let's see, Washington, Oregon, USC, Utah, Oregon State. Okay, sorry. So, yeah, Utah's the fifth team, but they play the other four. And so I think in order to set yourselves apart, you have to have the wide receivers be a critical part of that offense when it's stalling. They're reloading at running back. Obviously, you got Jaquinia Jackson coming back, and, and he'll be great. But there's going to be times when this offense isn't working, and you really have to go to that wide receiver spot. And Utah, I feel like, wasn't really able to use that, except for in maybe one or two key moments this season, which is great. But I think that's what needs to be more consistent. Kyle Whittingham has talked about that more. Like, we need to use the deep ball. We need to use our wide receivers more. That'll expand our offense and could just take it to the next level. So hopefully that's what we can see from there. I think another really interesting offseason note about Utah football really quick is looking at the transfer portal. Like, I just wondered if Utah won or lost the transfer portal so far. Um, Utah lost. I mean, obviously you're going to lose, I'd say, around 10 guys a year, uh, 5 to 10 guys. And that's around what Utah lost um, this season. Um, they lost Malone Mataele, Ethan Calvert, Tyler Weegis, Mason Tufua, uh, Tufaga, Landon Morris, Makai Bernard, Ricky Parks, Paul Miley, Andrew Matafa, and Jordan Noyce. So yeah, exactly 10 that went to the transfer portal. Um, Malone Mataele went to Utah State. Uh, Mason Tufaga went to Oregon State, um, which was his old team. Tyler Weegis goes out to Boise State. Paul Miley goes down south, goes to BYU. Um but Utah only picked up four in the transfer portal. Um, they got Lavani Demuni from Stanford, Logan Fano from BYU, Miles Battle, the quarterback from Ole Miss, and Cole Becker, the kicker from Colorado. So, Richie, looking at the guys that Utah lost and the guys that Utah gained, do you feel like they won or lost in the transfer portal? I know it's kind of like a skewed list because we had 10 guys leave, four guys come in, but maybe that's a reasoning of why you think maybe they lost. So what do, you, what do you think? Did Utah really gain more or lose more um, so far in this small season? I think they gained more. When you look at the guys that were leaving, um, most of them weren't necessarily rotation guys. I mean, you did have some in Mackay Bernard, um, in Paul Maile, two guys that played significant minutes down the stretch um, in every game for Utah. But you look at the guys coming in and – all four of them are immediate impact players. Uh, Cole Becker will be somebody that's going to change, I think, a lot of things for Utah because we just had no kicking game last year. And then you got Miles Battle. I think he's going to be a really good situational cornerback. Um, Logan Fano is a guy that I'm really interested to see because he had a lot of potential coming out of high school, suffered an unfortunate injury while at BYU last year, and then now he's coming to Utah with his brother. And he could be a guy that changes things defensively for Utah down the line. Um, and then Lonnie Dumani from Stanford. Also, I just think that's an awesome pickup. You need an experienced linebacker. I think he's going to fit in right away. Um, most of all, I think Utah just really improved on defense, which is going to be big. Um, if you look at just kind of the bigger picture of all of this, though, Utah had a really good offseason because they were able to keep rising Keithy. 
Um, and honestly, not too many guys transferred out or declared for the NFL draft. I think that's going to be really big for Utah down the line, and that's what makes them a serious Pac-12 contender this next year is kind of the big picture. I think if you look just at the transfers, then it's pretty debatable whether they won or lost because they are losing some key rotation guys, but they're gaining some guys that could make an instant impact. Um, But from a big-picture perspective, Utah's definitely coming out of this offseason with a big win. Yeah, again, I 100% agree with you. And just like you said, it's the quality of players that Utah gained rather than what they lost. I think every Utah fan knows that the special teams was a really limiting factor in some close games this year. And having not one, but two five-star kickers on the roster now completely changes that narrative. I think Cole Becker is going to come out on top of that kicking battle, but I just think having an actual kicker will be... Uh, game-changing for this Utah team moving forward. And like you talked about, like all these guys on defense um, can be changers. I already think that the defense coming in for Utah with the returners is phenomenal. They'll get a lot of good games in, and I think they'll be a top defense in the country. But I think having these guys especially come in from around the country will just take Utah to that next level on defense. Again, I like I was saying before, I think it really comes down to the offense and what the wide receivers can do to see what Utah can do in the Pac-12 next year. Can they three-peat? Absolutely they can, but it's going to be so tough for them to do that. But it'll be interesting to see how this Utah team can handle that adversity. If everyone stays healthy, I think Utah's got a real shot at three-peating in the Pac-12 and maybe making a run at the playoff. I know the players want to do that, and that's why they came back. So it should be interesting there. But interesting enough, I think the big topic this week is running needs basketball. I don't think... uh, We've rarely had an episode where this is the premier topic, but I think this is the best topic to talk about today. Um, the running Utes are coming off two great ho- home wins against the Washington schools. Brandon Carlson just won Pac-12 Player of the Week. Uh, he dropped a career-high 28 and then dropped 25 on Saturday. I just feel like everyone knew their role in both of those games. Utah just led all the way through in both of those. The other teams really tried to make a comeback, but never really got that close as Utah just gained steady momentum and was able to win both of those pretty comfortably. Richie, what are your top notes for me this week for the running Utes? Well, yeah, like you mentioned, it was a great week for them. Um, It really changes the way it's funny how our narrative talking about them has changed week to week because last year we're talking about how NIT would be a big win for this youth squad. And now they're on the bubble of NCAA tournament bid. Uh, they're currently 48 in the net rankings and 42 in Ken Palm. They've appeared like on the bubble as a tournament team, um, but they still have a gauntlet to go through before they can be serious about those talks. Um, so I kind of just want to take a look at the rest of their schedule in terms of what their quad one, two, three, and four games are. So quad one games, they play at Oregon this week, which is going to be a really big game. They play at UA at Arizona state, They play UCLA and then at Colorado. So those are all quad one games. Quad two, Colorado plays Utah and USC, um, both at home. Quad three, play at Oregon State, which is this week again. And then Stanford at home. And then quad four is Cal at home. Um, So they have a lot of opportunities, especially in quad one and quad two, to make um, some significant noise. And I think that's going to be really important down the line. This Oregon team is really interesting. Um, they have had some bad losses down the down the stretch. Uh, they lost to Colorado. They lost a lot of bad preseason games. They lost to Utah Valley. 
they're just a really interesting team. Um, and I think the matchup this week is going to be very important and one that everybody who's who's making tournament bids is going to be keeping an eye on because either of these teams, if things go right, could potentially be a tournament team. Um, but if Utah wants to be, seriously be in NCAA tournament contention, they got to win all their quad two, three, four games and win a couple of their quad one games. And I think this one is one of the more winnable ones when you look at their other quad one games. Um, and then they have to make an impression in the Pac-12 tournament. I think that's very key too. Uh, but yeah, I feel like this game is really key because Oregon is a beatable team. Like I said, they've had some bad losses. And more than anything, I think Utah has figured out some things on offense that they hadn't figured out before. Um, Washington and Washington State were kind of doing some similar things that Oregon was uh, when it came to Brandon Carlson and how they guarded him. Oregon was doubling him every time. Um, they'd have one guy kind of on his hip as he was trying to spin, and then they'd send another guy under the basket um, and force the double. And Carlson handled it a lot better than he did versus those Oregon guys. I think that's going to be big against this Oregon team because last time he had only three turnovers, it limited how much he was posting up. Um, and if he's able to figure that out, that's going to be really important. I also think the guard play has just been great the last couple of games. Um, Madsen was on fire on Saturday awesome to see when Madsen gets on fire. Wooster's played good. Stefanovic has played good. And all three of those guys threw up absolutely absolute duds against Oregon earlier in the season. Madsen was one of eight in that game. Wooster was two of nine and Stefanovic was five of 17, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, and we praised Stefanovic because he was the most aggressive guy. Um, he was the only one making plays. And I think he's going to have to do a little bit more of that uh, this game against Oregon. Um. But yeah, I'm I'm optimistic because I do think Utah has figured some things out offensively. They had a rough defensive week against the LA teams, and then they got back to their normal defense against the Washington teams and looked great. If they're able to come out with a hot start on offense and maintain their same defensive consistency, it's going to change the entire game. Um, last time Oregon had kind of the better start, they were winning for most of the first half. There's a little bit of back and forth. And then they pulled away and then they were just able to hold the lead for the rest of the game. I think if Utah's able to um, have a hot start and score quick, then that totally shifts what this game looks like. And Utah could be the one in the driver's seat. They could be the one controlling the narrative of this game. And hopefully they could get a win up in Oregon. Um, but Thatcher, what are your thoughts on this Oregon matchup and kind of just the whole big picture with this running youth squad? Yeah. Um, I think the, the running Utes are in a way better position than I predicted them at the beginning of the season. Obviously, I thought they were going to be above where they were picked preseason at 10th in the conference. Usually, I feel like Utah's always been picked below where they finish, except for a few years, obviously, where they were really struggling. But right now, Utah's sitting alone at second place in the Pac-12. Uh, they're sitting above U of A, above USC, above Oregon, who before when the season started, I just thought was not going to be possible at all. I thought at best Utah's probably finishing sixth. Maybe they still do that right. We have a gauntlet ahead. But I think in order for Utah, especially long-term in terms of this season, to make the NCAA tournament, I think they have to go undefeated quad two through quad four. Um, you have about five, five or six games there, um, all very winnable for Utah. And if you win five games, that puts Utah with 19 wins. The key is, uh, at least I think the key 
number to hit every year if you want to go to the tourney is at least 20 wins, right? So then you have a lot of games that are in quad one. And if Utah can just grab one of those, then I think they can be set. And like you said, they need to make some noise in the tournament. But I feel like, you know, if you win one of those, you get to 20 wins, maybe you're still in the top four in the conference. You already have a bye in the conference tournament. If you just win one game in the quarterfinals, make it to the semis, maybe, and I, I think most likely Utah will have a shot at making the outside, making the bubble, um, being a, a really low, or however you want to see it, just a, a high seed in terms of, you know, 12, 13, that type of thing. So I think both of these games are very winnable. In my eyes, uh, Thursday night's game against Oregon State is a must-need win in terms of you can't lose to a, a quad three or quad four team. Um, I think last time Oregon State was like 214 in net. Uh, yeah, do not lose to Oregon State. Very doable. Uh, but then Oregon. Again, I think it's a winnable game. I think Utah can come back from how Oregon schemed against them the last time when they were at the Huntsman Center. This Oregon team is so weird to me, though. Uh, they were able to blow out U of A, but then the next week you lose to Stanford, and Stanford gets their first conference win. And it's the same thing, like, they beat Utah, but you know then they lose to these other teams in the conference, and it just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, you have... Before, some people were blaming it on injuries, but now it's kind of like, well, no, something's just amiss here. And I don't know if that's talent-wise, depth-wise, but the thing with Oregon is they always have athletes. And I think that's really what sets them apart when they play Utah is all of their guys just seem to be more athletic than ours. And I hope that this weekend, this Saturday, Craig Smith and the guys can make a really good scheme, a really good game plan, and try and get a win up in Austin because it's always been hard for Utah basketball to win there. I think up at the Forest and at the McHale Center have been the two hardest places to play for Utah basketball. It's very hard for them to get a win there. And so hopefully uh, the Utes can get it done. But in terms of um, playing back at home, they've got a lot of key games there too, right? Uh, you talked about USC, UCLA. Um, they play Colorado, Stanford, um, Cal, right? The Stanford-Cal matchup, those are the two worst teams in the league. But USC, UCLA, Colorado, those are three really good games at home. And what's been awesome to see, especially this last week in the Washington School games, is that fans were starting to show up. Um, I know it sounds kind of stupid, but you know you had 8,500 fans roughly for about both of those games, um, basically filled most of the lower bowl. Um, but this is kind of a question for all Utah fans. But Richie, I'll ask it to you first. What do you think it will take for the curtains to come up at the Huntsman Center? Um, I know that Mark Harlan's been very adamant about keeping them down until the, the Utes are winning a ton, but it seems like fans are starting to show up now where I feel like maybe if Utah gets like a key win against one of those LA schools or maybe they win against UCLA, like you have to open up the curtains. I think like especially with UCLA coming in, like that's a top five team most likely. Like you have to have more fans come in. You got to market it more. Uh, what do you feel about the current situation? And do you feel like this season, maybe at the end of it, they can talk about maybe putting the curtains up? Do you think that's possible? Yeah, I think it's possible. Um, in my mind, though, I kind of don't see them doing that this season. I feel like they've had opportunities to do it. Obviously, the Oregon game earlier this, this year was a big sellout. Um, and they still didn't open it. Like I think they had like eight, to 9,000 fans at that Oregon game. Um, Washington, 
this last weekend, they had about 7,500 fans is what they reported. So you're kind of, you're getting bigger numbers. Um, people are coming more often and as they're making more noise, more and more people are coming. I just don't know if I see it this year that they're going to make any changes because I think they've been so persistent about keeping the curtains up so far. Um, obviously I, I would love to see the curtains go down. They just make the Huntsman center look so ugly and the Huntsman center is one of the most beautiful venues in all of college basketball. It's where Larry and magic played in the national championship. It's an iconic stadium. Um, and it just feels like they're tainting it when they put up the curtains. Uh, so it's, it's kind of infuriating as a fan to see that. Um, but at the same time, I kind of understand why they're doing it. And I kind of think they're going to keep doing it until next year. But ultimately, it's up to the Utah team. They got to make the noise. Um, they got to get some of those wins. And I think the athletic department will re- respond accordingly. And who knows, if they're in a good position when they play U- U- UCLA and USC at home, then it's totally realistic for them to drop those curtains. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think uh, maybe it's interesting if Utah does make a run late or something, they could open them up for some big games. You got to make a ceremony out of it, though, I feel like. Maybe at the start of next season, you know, you just drop them and just say, you know, like, screw it, we're good now, maybe. Burn them on the court. Yeah, burn them on the court. <laughs> um, but I, I just think overall this Utah team is, especially when they get going, they're just really fun to watch. Also, I think it was so crappy of whoever did the schedule for Utah – Utah just absolutely got screwed over. Uh, their two biggest home games, Arizona and UCLA, both on Thursday nights, both late games. Obviously, the Arizona game came the night before the Pac-12 championship in Vegas, so obviously not many fans were able to make it. Uh, this next one against UCLA next month is like at 8.30 p.m. on a Thursday. And I I was like, oh, man, come on. Like You got to give the Utes a break here if they want some fans to show up for some big games. But I, I think fans are really starting to come back and – um, what's awesome was I was listening to the post game show at the end of the Washington game and it was the alumni game. We had our boy Harrison career to lead out the boys at alumni on alumni night. Um, and they had like over 70 players, uh, from every decade of Utah basketball going back to the forties, uh, which was so amazing to see. And Craig got really emotional, um, in his post game comments. Um, and he was just really talking about the whole environment, the vibes from over the weekend. So here's a list of that, that comment that he had. Uh, with Bill Riley after the game against Washington. It means a lot on a personal level um, to see all these guys come back and support our program. And last night, the banquet was awesome to see all these um, players here and former coaches. And that's, we want connectivity. We want, these guys that led the way, we have a legendary program here, and it really matters. And we want to get all these guys connected and coming back and supporting the guys in our program. We have such a good group. We still got a lot of work to do. We got to get better, and we will. But it was a great week to see all these guys. I'm sorry. No, it's okay, Craig. Um, this program means a lot to a lot of people, and you've been here a short time, but I know how much it means to you. We found that out the very first day you took the job, and I don't think you've taken it for granted any day that since then that you've had the job. So to see the support from the alumni and the fans, this might have been the best crowd you've had all year long too. It was awesome. Um, 
our guys had a heck of a week. I mean, obviously, having everybody back was special. And seeing all the people, and I know we can fill this thing. I know we can. And we're getting there slowly. I told the guys in the last media timeout when it was pretty clear we are going to win, um, guys are coming. Like, they're coming. Just keep playing the right way. Um, what I really like about what he said with – with Bill Riley, as you can really hear the emotion in his voice is that like, he's telling his, he's telling his boys like, Hey, if you keep playing well, like we can get this program back to what it used to be. And and that's what I love about coach Smith is that he recognizes the value in this program and he recognizes the the history behind it. Um, Craig Smith had a very rough season, but I feel like he's really improved this season. So Richie, what are your thoughts? Um, of what Craig's done with the boys this year and, and what do you feel like he can do for the future? Like, are you positive on him? Do you feel like this has been an absolute success, a mild success? So what are your thoughts on coach so far this year? Well, I think it's only natural to compare uh, the season that he's having and kind of his whole tenure to coach Kristoviak's um, coach Smith is, I think he's doing more with less. Um, Kristoviak was a really good recruiter. I mean, there were definitely some on-court things that we did not like about Kristoviak, but his recruiting was top-notch. Whereas Coach Smith's recruiting kind of hasn't caught up. I think it will catch up. I think you'll get more guys through the portal. Um, I think he's already nailed on some recruits. I thought his freshman class coming in has a lot of upside, and I'm excited about some of those players. Um, But if you look at just kind of our roster versus Kristoviak's rosters, uh, coach Smith is doing more with less. I think that really speaks to his ability to coach these guys, um, his ability to connect with these players and to get the most out of them. Um, kind of looking back at history, uh, Coach Smith, he started this, he started last season, um, was four and 16 in Pac 12 play, seven and three this year. Whereas Coach Kristoviak started three and 15 his first year, five and 13 his second season, nine and nine his third season, and didn't have a winning record until his fourth season. So I think already you're making some big strides. Um, and I'm excited to see what Coach Smith is going to do when recruiting steps up. Like I mentioned, Kristoviak was a really good recruiter. Uh, the year before he, let's see, let's see. His second year, he got Sports Illustrated top 100 player in Jordan Loveridge. He brought in Brandon Taylor and Dakari Tucker. So you kind of had a core going there. Um then the next year, he added Juco transfer to Lon Wright, who plays in the NBA right now. So by year three, he had three. He had this core with those four guys. Um, then year four, he recruits Pirtle, Kuzma, Bricot Chapman, and gets another transfer in Chris Reyes. And all of a sudden, you have a tournament team. You go to the Sweet 16, you lose to Duke, who eventually won the national championship. But the recruiting was awesome. Year five, DeLon goes to the NBA and you fill in the guard with you fill in the gap with a transfer guard, Lorenzo Bonham, who came out of a JUCO program as well. And he just fit immediately. The Utes ran and got to the tournament again, um, lost to Gonzaga in the second round, but it was still a solid year. Pretty happy. Um, recruiting stayed really solid. Kristoviak got borderline NBA and G League, G League guys his whole tenure there. He got Devin Daniels, Booth Gotch. Cedric Barrafield, um, all those guys have made summer league or G League appearances. And then he got really quality uh, college players. He got Timmy, Timmy Allen, who's one of the big leaders on this good Texas team. He got Pelle Larson, Alfonso Plummer. Um, all three of those guys were playing in the tournament last year and were playing big minutes. So kind of the overall point that I want to make is I think Coach Smith's recruiting is going to get a lot better. 
Um, I think it's pretty hard to recruit in year two when your team just went four and 16 in conference play. But if they come out of conference play with a winning record, there's going to be some gaps that open. There's going to be some scholarship spots that open. And I think it's going to be really important that coach Smith is able to fill in those gaps with guys that have potential because you kind of have your freshman core right now. Um, this was his first recruiting class. You got Wilkins exact, you got Kiba Kita and you got Luca Tarlach, all who play have played recent minutes and who have looked pretty decent in their minutes. Um, and kind of as some guys drop out of the program, as you go through the transfer portal and get more stuff, more stuff, you're going to establish a core and kind of the ideal rebuild for these college programs is by year three or four to be making NCAA tournament noise. And this team is already on the bubble. You're in a really good spot. And I think a big part of that has been the X's and O's. I think coach Smith on the floor has done everything he's supposed to. He's established a really, really good defense. The offense has been okay considering what you have. Um, And he just, he inspires his guys. I think it's really obvious that he is just a really good players coach that he connects with all of his guys, that he gets the most out of his guys and his players play really hard. I think that's a really big sign of a good coach is players that play really hard every single game. And you watch this running news team. These guys fight their dogs. Uh, it's really awesome to see. So that's kind of where I believe in coach Smith. He does all the things that you want in a coach and, Obviously, recruiting is a big part of the college coaching cycle, and I think he's going to figure it out. I think you're going to get more guys, um, maybe even some future NBA guys. And, you know, kind of as you start to get those guys, you're going to be able to make some serious noise within the college basketball world. 100%. Coach Smith has been, um, I think, electrifying for this program right from when he was brought on as head coach kind of a dark moment for the program, right? As I feel like they were trending right back to where they were at the beginning of the Larry K era. But just like you said, he's done so much more with less. Uh, you look at all those guys that were on Larry K's team that have since transferred elsewhere. They're all key parts in some of the best teams in the country. Uh, Timmy Allen's at Texas. You had Alfonso Plummer that was at Illinois. Uh, Pelle Larson down at Arizona. You just have all these players that were able to be key contributors at these really big teams afterwards. And now you're seeing what Craig's doing with these guys that he was just able to bring in after a terrible first season. But even then when he was bringing it in to rebuild a program and now how they're playing and competing with some of the best teams in the country, heck even beating Arizona this year, that's incredible. And I just think that just speaks to who he is as a, as a coach, as a man. And, and hopefully their recruiting can just take one step further because again, like you said, if they're talking about like bubble appearances and tournament appearances right now, I just think it's only up from here. And Craig Smith has been able to consistently turn programs around and consistently been able to do more with less. Um, an interesting stat is that out of, you know, two of the years that they were picked to finish dead last in the conference in the Mountain West, uh, Utah State won the regular season title. Like Craig Smith has always been underrated with the type of talent that he brings in sometimes, but he always knows how to make the most and he knows who, which guys fit into his system. But I think with coming to a historic program like Utah, you can get really good players you can get really good talent and then you can elevate them even further kind of like a a metaphor or simile of utah football that's the same thing that kyle whitting has been able to do like this is the first year that utah has been able to have a top 25 recruiting class in the pac-12 era yet they've consistently year in year out been able to compete with the best of the best because they're so good at developing players i think craig plays into that same storyline with this running youth squad and it should be really exciting to see what he does in the future but 
just like Richie said, for our draft segment, it's going to be a little bit different. We're going to be talking about our predictions for the NBA All-Star starters coming up uh, just next month. So, Richie, who are you predicting to start in this NBA All-Star game that's coming to Salt Lake in February? Where should we start, east or west? Maybe let's start let's start east. We'll finish okay. we'll finish with the west cuz we already know, you know. We we got to finish with our our guy out west, you know. We got to finish with Lori. Okay, I like it. I like it. Um so in the east, I'm starting with the former Jasmine in the backcourt. I think Donovan Mitchell has been the best guard in the east pretty much all season. Um his numbers are great. He's contributing a big time to winning basketball and He's just been the guy in Cleveland. He's played really, really good. I think the only other guard that would be in that conversation is Tyrese Halliburton. However, Tyrese Halliburton has kind of, he's missed like the last nine games or something. And I do think that is a factor when it comes to all-star voting. So I'm not having Halliburton in my starting lineup. I'm having Donovan and Jalen Brown. The front court is where it gets really interesting in the East. Um, mostly because you got four guys that are all very deserving to be in that front court spot in uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, and Joel Embiid. Uh, it sounds like Kevin Durant will be getting close to coming back before the All-Star break, so it's very possible that he's an All-Star, all-star starter. He's been leading the league in votes. He's had an incredible season. Brooklyn Nets have stayed relevant despite a horrible start. Um, I think he absolutely deserves to be a starter. I think the same situation um, with Embiid or with, with Jason Tatum. I think he also deserves to be a starter. Celtics are the number one in, team in in all of basketball. They've played really, really good, um, and Tatum has been a huge part of it. He's played like an MVP this year. He's taken leap after leap every single year. I think he deserves to be a starter. So then he gets the conversation of Giannis and Embiid. And it kind of becomes a numbers thing because they've both played about the same amount of games. Um, Embiid is currently leading the league in scoring while he's at, he's tied with Luca, both averaging 33 points per game, which is just ludicrous. Um, both just having insane seasons, but I think Embiid is going to be the final guy in, in the front court spot, just based on his efficiency. Uh, Giannis has had a really rough year. I mean, in Giannis terms, he's kind of had a down year. I think part of that is that he hasn't been playing with Chris Middleton all season. Um, Chris Middleton does a lot for them on offense, opens up their half-court game big time, and helps with Giannis's efficiency. And I hate to say it, but I think Giannis is going to be the Ottoman out. And that just really bums me out. They got to really figure out how to, to improve the voting process because all four of those guys deserve to be all-star starters. What are what are your East starters thatch? Yeah, you you I I basically had exactly the same thing. Um I really wish maybe this is a hot take of me, but I, I think DeMar DeRozan has had an incredible year with Chicago. Um I think he's had some stellar games and he's had some clutch moments. Going back to what you're saying in terms of voting, I feel like it really does need to change. Um I mean you look at the the votes out in the West and we'll get to that, but Man, dude, how many Golden State fans are there in the world? Because, dude, they take over voting every year. And it's kind of frustrating to watch because they're small market teams and maybe even some players on big market teams that just aren't getting the type of love that I feel like they deserve. Um, I, the clear favorite for me, like, in terms of guards was, like you said, like Donovan Mitchell. Although the, you know, their record doesn't necessarily reflect 
you know, they're, you know, top of the top of the East, like such a competitive team. And again, they're going to compete for the finals, at least for the remainder of his contract that he has with Cleveland. And he's been so dynamic in scoring. Um, it's just insane. And the Eastern Conference front court, just like you were trying to dissect, it's so loaded, like top to bottom. Um, I mean, you got a little bit of a drop off at the bottom. I love my boy, Nick Claxton. Dude comes cl- up clutch for me in 2K a lot of the time. Um, we were able to see his defensive prowess against the Jazz last week. Um, but man, like Giannis, KD, Jason Tatum, Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler, Pascal Siakam, Kyle Kuzma, like great, great players all around. Obviously, there's a jump off in between those players too, you know, Joel Embiid to Jimmy. But oh, I uh, I 100% agree with who you had as your East starters. Um, that's that's like my one take as we get into this draft segment. It's just like, we got to change the voting process for some of these fans, or we have to have a limit on how many Golden State fans they are. So speaking of that, we'll get into the West. Um, Richie, call me out. Call me out if I'm crazy, man. That's that's kind of your job. You're the NBA guy here. Um, as, as my two starting guards, um, I'm going to go with Steph Curry uh, and Luka Doncic. Um, just two absolutely insane players, right? Steph Curry, a great shooter of our generation. He's having a pretty solid season. Uh, John Morant, though, um, I thought about it a lot because the Grizzlies are having a fantastic year. John's been able to put up some miraculous plays. Um, but Luca obviously has to start. I mean, the guy's the guy's insane. At three, I had LeBron, obviously. Um, dude's dude's still putting up insane stats in year 20. Uh, just in their last loss to the Clippers, I think he had like a career high nine threes. Like I it's insane. That's so crazy. Um at the at the five, you gotta go with Jokic. Uh the fact that this guy, I, I get LeBron like greatest greatest player of this generation, but Nikola Jokic is insane. I was just having this conversation at work with some buddies because I have a friend who's a, a diehard Nuggets fan. Who doesn't want like a guy like Jokic who will just walk out, drop his triple-double, and then just go home and dream about being in his farm in Serbia? I was like, being great like Nikola Jokic is, it usually changes a man. It changes a basketball player. Um, I'm not trying to put Donovan Mitchell in like a, a bad light, but it's like, Donovan Mitchell comes in as this fresh rookie. He's really excited about Utah, but the more and more relevant that he gets in the NBA sphere, the more and more attention he gets in the trade, then drama starts happening. And obviously, you know, he leaves the franchise like Nikola Jokic, I'm sure would rather be with his horses in Serbia than playing basketball for the rest of his life. And the fact that he's able to do what he does on a consistent level is just so it's appreciated yet underappreciated. And right now he's my favorite to three Pete for the NBA MVP because he's just doing some insane stuff. So for me, he's the obvious starter. Um, and I have, I have Lori Markkinen uh, as a starter as well for the West. Um, I know maybe that might not be a hot take for jazz fans might be a hot take for the NBA league wide, but those are gonna be my starters for the West. So Richie, who are your starters for the West? Yeah, I don't think the Lori Markkinen take is too hot. Um, there has been talk of that, but mostly people have been swapping it's been kind of a three-way swap between him, LeBron, and DeMontis Sabonis. Um, I love what you said about Jokic. Jokic is this generation's Larry Bird. You know how Larry would just like decide one game to go play left-handed um, and shoot everything left-handed? Jokic is kind of doing that. He's like, okay, this game, I'm going to just only shoot five shots, and I'm going to score 25 points off of five shots, or I'm going to go for 20 assists. And he does it, and it's awesome. And it's just like he doesn't really have anything to prove. He's such a dominant basketball player. I agree. He's going to be the third-time MVP. 
Um, anyways, my starters look very similar to yours. I have Luca, um, Steph. I think Shea has definitely butted himself into that conversation. He's gotten a lot of votes, deservedly so, and he deserves to be in that conversation. Um, but I think ultimately the popularity vote's going to win that for those two. Um, and then I have LeBron. LeBron has been awesome since turning 38. He's averaging 36 points per game. He had that 46-point um, game last night, like you mentioned, with the 9-3, setting his career high at 38 years old in three-pointers made. That's so insane. It's so That's insane. so crazy. <laughs> it's just – it's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I hope I don't make too many Jazz fans mad. But instead of marketing, I have Sabonis in my front court. I think he deserves it. The Kings are currently the three-seed. And Sabonis has been such a big part of that. If you watch their offense, he just does so much for them. He's able to set up guys. He's scoring at a really high level with great efficiency. Um, his dribble handoffs are really good. He just, he's gotten, he's made so much out of that Kings team. Um, and they've been a really fun watch They're Like I said, they're the number three team in the East, in the West right now. And if you would have asked me that before the season, I would never have predicted that never in a million years because Frankly, they haven't been in the playoffs for the last 18 or so years. Um, but because of that, I do think he deserves to be a starter. Um, and then Jokic as my fifth starter. Yeah, Sabonis, Sabonis is obviously interesting. Um, he is, yeah, he's the key man for that that Kings offense. And being a Jazz fan, we've been able to see some close games with those guys, and he's just so critical in what they do. And he's honestly really fun to watch. Uh, he has high shooting efficiency, and he just seems really smart, has high IQ on the floor, and he's able to work well with the guys that he plays with. So it should be exciting to see how the voting kind of shakes out. And we have the new format this year, right? They're going to be voting for their players on their team, the captains will, right before the game starts in a live televised draft. How do we feel about this? Um, NBA type pickup game as the All Star um, pick them for the the All Star game. Do you like it? I like it a lot. I think it's awesome. I do think it's going to be funny though when there's only one guy remaining because it's just like that's the awkward. That's the most awkward thing to see on the playground. It's going to be even more awkward in an NBA setting with millions or thousands of fans around. And it, I don't know. It's just that's going to be funny to watch. See whoever gets picked last. Because yeah. let's be honest, it's it's probably going to be our favorite jazz man. Yeah, oh, 100%. Like, yeah, there's no doubt about it. But, hey, we love it anyways. We love it anyways. We're excited to see him, that hopefully he'll be there um, in Salt Lake. And maybe we'll see some others. You know, Mike Conley got the invite for the skills challenge. We got Malik Beasley invited for the three-point – or they're trying to get him invited for the three-point challenge. So maybe we got a few – we'll get a few jazz guys represent. So are you planning on going to any games in person or, like, any events? No, tickets are too expensive. I am thinking the ringer is doing like a a late night show in somewhere in State Street. It's like twenty dollars a ticket. I'm thinking about going to that because they got like all their guys there. They got Bill Simmons, Ryan Russillo, just a lot of guys that I listen to. So I think it would be interesting. They're doing like a live podcast. Um, I don't know. That would be fun to watch. But yeah, I, I'm probably just going to be watching from home, hoping the the ski resorts aren't too crowded with all those out of staters. Oh yeah. I mean, you could go see the games for like 2000 bucks a pop, but I mean, I'd rather watch everyone drop a 150 piece at home, <laughs> but I think the activities could be fun around Salt Lake. So if you're around the area, I think go check it out. They might have some cool stuff. Plus you'll never know what kind of celebrities you might run into 
that weekend. So it should be exciting. But thank you all for listening. That's it for this week's edition of the Thatcher Effect, guys. We'll see you next week. Woo!